Welcome to Homebase Hope, all about autism, the show that invites you to think differently, inspires you to take a whole child approach, and most of all, instills hope when it comes to your child and autism. I'm your host, Rhiannon Crisp, from homebasehope.com.au. Let's get into it. Hi guys and welcome. I am really excited about today's podcast because today we are chatting to Chris Barrett. Chris is a certified nutrition and health coach, certified GAPS practitioner, bio-individual nutrition practitioner and mind practitioner who specializes in helping families living with autism spectrum disorders. Having felt overwhelmed herself 12 years ago, by the flood of information about autism by experts and therapists when her son Tim was diagnosed as being on the spectrum. She understands the sense of confusion and helplessness that many parents feel. Back then, she decided to take control and do her own research, eventually cracking the code. By implementing dietary and biomedical interventions, Tim became a thriving, happy and healthy boy who is now a fully adjusted teenager. Over the past 10 years, Chris has been a powerful ally for many families. She's mentored hundreds of parents to make practical and life-transforming changes that are sustainable in the real world. Chris is on a mission to transform the lives of families living with autism. She knows dietary changes can have a significant impact and believes all children and their families should have the chance to experience better health and happiness. It's little wonder Chris is one of the most trusted and respected health coaches in the specialized area of nutrition and autism spectrum disorders. Welcome, Chris. Thank you very much for having me. Not a drama. My pleasure. Um, Now, I have read both of your amazing books and I wanted to start with your journey with your son, Tim, um, who was diagnosed with autism at a very early age. Um, Yeah. And this is something that you describe very openly in your book, No Cows Today. Mm-hmm. And I, I got goosebumps reading your book. Um, you know, your story is so real and you tell it how it is. Um, there's no sugarcoating anything. No. And, <laughs> and I really think that your journey would resonate with so many parents who are also going through this same, very yeah. similar journey. Um, can you give the listeners just a bit of a snapshot of what the autism journey looked like for you? Yeah, it was pretty messy, and and you're right. I didn't I didn't sugarcoat it. It was very real. Um, and I think you know it's it's a lot of family stories. Our story, it's you know resonates with a lot of people, and I get that feedback. Oh my gosh, you might have might as well been telling our story. But um, it was a pretty messy journey, Tim. Um, was he was a very sick baby and he missed all, a lot of milestones but because he had a lot of other illnesses we sort of I think probably missed a lot of the the autism signals because we put it down to oh he'll just catch up he's been so sick he'll catch up later he's, he's just doing things a little bit later don't compare him to his older sister or that sort of stuff so I think we we may have um, missed a whole lot of that but um, he was just a terribly, he was unwell, he was unhappy, our family was unhappy, you know, anyone who's got a kid on the spectrum knows it's, you can't have a normal life, we couldn't all go out together as a family, um, you know, there was just meltdowns from, you know, dawn till dusk all through night and he didn't sleep, he just screamed all night, he ran around the house, um, you know, we, we, he didn't wasn't even toilet trained until he was six, um, we were just 
doing everything that we, you know, were told to do and nothing was getting better and, you know, it was just that point of like we, how are we going to live like this, you know? How, how do we do this for the rest of our lives? We just can't. Um, so it was, it was a pretty messy time for everybody. It was, you know, I, I guess it's it's not just, you know, um, when, when there's a child with autism, there's a lot of other people affected, the whole family's affected. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty stressful um, time. It was, it was, yeah, I look back now and sort of wonder how we even got through it. But a lot of um, lack of sleep, a lot of um, just a lot of stress and, yeah, mm. not fun. No, not at all. <laughs> Now, you talk about the biomedical approach. How how did you get into that? How did you find out about it? Because, um, you know, I find parents aren't given a lot of information when they're given a diagnosis. And, yeah, um, yeah I find many parents take it upon themselves to do their own research. How yeah. did you come across this model? And, yeah, tell us about how that came about. Yeah, look, divine intervention, I think, really, truly. So um, we, we had the diagnosis, we were doing speech therapy, we were doing occupational therapy. He is at a special ed kindy. And um, we were just, um, oh, thank you, um, we were just actually, you know, everything was just not, you know, um, nothing was happening. Um, nothing was getting better. At the special ed kindy, um, we had um, uh, just one day I overheard a lady talking about how she changed her son's diet and he was starting to speak. And I was like, what? What, what do you mean? And um, I, I thought that sounds really, really strange and hippie. I don't understand how that could, you know, even help. But I was really quite desperate by then because I felt like we'd already done everything that the specialist had, t- you know, said, well, you're doing everything you can. And I was like, but nothing's getting better. So I cornered her in the car park. I don't know her name. I, I'd never spoken to her before. I said, what is this? What is this about the diet? So she told me a little bit about it. And she said, here's two books to read. You can get them from the library and, um, you know, and off you go. So um, she said, there's actually someone doing research about um, the diet and he lives in um, this particular suburb, which happened to be three minutes down the road from me. He was a chemist. And I went, okay, I'm, I'm going to have a look at this. So I went and got the books from the library. I went and spoke to this chemist and I started, you know, looking at it and it was just all like, you know, every everything I was reading was like, that's just describing my son, you know, like the... The, the really narrow range of foods, the, you know, even the physical things. I've, I've got to do this. So I said to my husband, that's it, we, we're doing it. I'm going, to, I'm going to throw out all the food in the cupboard and we're going to do this, this diet. And he's like, okay. Um, and, you know, at the time, like, so that was 13 years ago, you know, like this was dial-up internet, you know, brrr, you know, and sit and wait for the stuff. And I just, I, just sat, I just sat on American forums and looking at websites and stuff going, okay, what is this and what am I going to do? And um, what happened was I started the diet and I started the diet very badly. I didn't have very much information. I wasn't very prepared because I just felt this sense of desperation. I have to do it tonight. I have to change everything right now. And um, and so I um, I did that and what happened was the first changes that we got were very, very physical for Tim. He was he was on um, – he, he had asthma, he had eczema, he had constant ear infections. So the asthma went away. The ear infections went away. The eczema went away. Um, and he started to sleep and then the diarrhoea, which was 12 to 14 times a day, reduced down to about five. And I was like – 
oh, my gosh. So it, it wasn't a magical, like, you know, his behaviour didn't um, suddenly get better, but the physical effects were so dramatic um, that I just, okay, we're on to something. I don't, you know, whatever happens from here, we've I've already been able to help him so much from, you know, years and years of specialists and medication and everything. He's just suddenly physically so much um, better. And then as luck would have it, you know, more late nights on the internet, there's, there's this um, uh, lady um, up the road from me who um, was also doing diet that I found on a forum and she says, oh, um, is he doing biomedical? There's a there's, um, what's biomedical? Oh, they test them and um, they'll have a look at um, his vitamin and mineral um, counts and test his urine and things, and then they can supplement him with vitamins and minerals to address any deficiencies. Oh, there's only two practitioners in Australia. One of them's 20 minutes down the road. Like, oh, my gosh. So I literally fell into the whole thing because there was nothing. The paediatrician gave us a speech therapist, an occupational therapist and the special ed kindy. And every time we went back, he'd say, you're doing everything you can. So there was no other information about anything else that we could do. Yeah. 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 Like you said, I I really feel that there is a big disconnect between what family, the information families are being given and the research that is actually available out there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. When did you start this? How old was Tim when you started implementing the dietary changes? Yeah, it was just after he was three. Okay. Um, so, which in hindsight, even though it was hard at, at the time, I think looking back, I'm really glad that we did it so young because he just doesn't know any different now. Um, so, yeah, so um, he's, yeah, he was just, just over three and we did it like a week before. I, I mean, I did it crazily it was a week before christmas you know i i uh, yeah it was it was silly but anyway (laughs) yeah i'm curious you know what did your diet look like before you started implementing everything um what what did it look like and how much transformation did you have to make to make these changes to his physical self yeah massive so our diet as a family looked like um, me being the worst cook in the entire universe, like, you know, <laughs> pasta sauce and, you know, uh, on, and with, with some veggies in and stuff like that. Um, Tim lived on five foods by that point. So um, he, his diet consisted of wheat bix yogurt, cheese sandwiches and pasta. Mm-hmm. That was it, and, and milk. And um, it, it had got narrower and narrower over the years. And so, of course, the diet I was beginning was the gluten and dairy-free diet, so that was 100% of, of those five things that he was eating and existing on had to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was, a, I mean, it was a radical change, ridiculously radical. I mean, I, I wasn't a cook and I was replacing every single thing that went into that kid's mouth and um, that was not, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, looking back, oh my gosh, it was—it's a crazy thing to do. Yeah, but um, yeah, just everything I was reading just made so much sense. I was like, I've got to try this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, in your book, High Thrive Me. I mean, this is an excellent resource for any parent. You know, I found so many gems in it just for myself. Um, <laughs> and whenever I mention diet and autism in the same sentence, I have a lot of people still raising their eyebrows. Um, you know, it's not conventional uh, yeah. intervention for autism at all. Um, it's very much the alternative treatment approach. Um, mm-hmm. Why do you think it is that diet is still considered so controversial? It's a million-dollar question. Look, I don't know. It's, it's, 
it's unfortunate because it, it actually divides the autism community as well. There's a lot of autism support groups and you have the, the you know, the don't be ridiculous, you know, my, my child will even eat because he lives on nuggets. And I, I find even after all this time, I, I find it really disappointing um, that nothing has changed in the 13 years that I've done it. The attitude, um, you know, more people have come across it on the internet, but no one's getting given the option um, at the diagnosis point or anything like that. And there's still that division. It's like talking politics or religion. It's to talk about diet. It's it's like mm. you, you're really delving into something that um, really divides people. And um, look, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure of, of, of why. There's so much more um, information. We've got so much more anecdotal reports of, you know, tens and 20s and hundreds of thousands of families who have done what I've done and um, or, you know, people that have changed their diet and, you know, have got better, you know, with autoimmune conditions and but well, still... Exactly. Yeah. Look, I think we need to take a common sense sort of lifestyle approach to it. We Mm. know that good food is good for good health for anyone, you know, benefits anyone, not just the child with autism. However, you know, I think it's particularly important, like, as you said, children on the spectrum are typically fussy eaters. So they're they're not getting the nutrients that they need. So it, it, it becomes more important. Um, does yeah and you know yeah i think we need to look at the risk versus the benefit you know adding a few extra veggies in and trying to implement you know positive healthy nutrition changes you know nothing too drastic you know even for the parents who um you know can tweak the diet a little bit you know you, you you will still see some improvements yeah and and it's like it actually breaks my heart and, and I, I understand, I understand the sensory stuff and I understand, you know, um, the tantrums and, you know, because I've, I've, I've lived through that as well and I understand how attached they are to food and particular brands and stuff. But honestly, when you, it breaks my heart to see, um, you know, people that, I've had clients that have come to me that they've eaten, their child's eating chicken nuggets for three meals a day, seven days a week. And it's like processed chicken nuggets. Like, yeah, as you say, in a common sense approach, you have to know that that's not sustainable long term for brain development and growth and exactly and anything. So it's, I think yeah. I read in your book too that um, on the chicken nuggets note that you even went to McDonald's <laughs> to get the um, the packet just so you can fill the container with your own homemade chicken nuggets. Yeah, so you, you, yeah. you went to quite lengths to try different strategies. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, I sort of say to parents, you have to do whatever works. If you want to be, you have to be sneakier. You have to be one step ahead. So you have to find out what it is that your child's most, you know, attached to. For Tim, I knew it was um, the, the sameness of everything. So he wanted to see the same thing on the same plate. He wanted to see it come out of the same container. So I had to just go one step ahead and go, right, well, I'm going to fill that container with other things. And then, you know, he would arc up and, you know, he could say, hey, and, you know, I want, you know, what would he say? I, was, I want same or something. And, and we're like, it is the same. Look, it's the same container. It's you're the same one you always have. And then you could see the brain going, doesn't taste the same, but it's the same container. Doesn't taste the same, same container. And then eventually, you know, it's like, fine, I'll just eat it. Um, but yeah, and I mean, I washed out yogurt containers. I kept, I, I got the Macca's packets. I did. Um, it's whatever you have to do to transition that for you, mm. you, you know, you, you have to do and be as creative as you need to be. Yeah. He, um, yeah, I, um, you just have to use their, use that 
Um, and, and you'll know what it is. It's different for every child, but whatever that is, that um, that attachment, you can use that to your mm. bed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I thought that was a great idea. Um, <laughs> so can you tell us how a diet may help a child on the spectrum? What sorts of changes might parents expect to see if they started making some dietary changes? Yeah, Um so it's it's quite varied, but usually um, you're looking at um, sleep, um, sleep improvements, digestion improvements, and that means you know like uh, if mo- most parents will be told, like I was told, that it was toddler diarrhea. It was normal for him to have twelve to fifteen runny nappies a day. Uh, yeah, it's quite normal. It's toddler diarrhea. It's not normal. Mm. That's just really, really, you and know. And particularly, bad. you know, if this is a, a parent's first child, you know, sometimes they don't know any different. And, um, you know, when when do you start questioning, you know, is this normal yeah. or not? Yeah, it's so, it's so hard, right, because it's it's terribly hard when you, you're told by, you know, he's the expert. He's the paediatrician. He sees kids all day long. This is normal, is it? Okay, um, you know, it doesn't feel normal and, you know, it's, it's and I think at some point um, when, I, when I sort of decided to go against, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this radical thing which was food, real food um, and go against all the advice and everything, I think once you get a little bit of success with that and you see um, some improvements, then you start to go, well, hang on, you know, what else is there that I could do? What else, um, you know, may I uh, question? Because mm. up until then I was, you know, I didn't question anything. If the doctor said it was fine. Mm. Um, and I think that we're sort of brought up not to question that. So it's um, it's quite a growth. It's quite a development um, journey for the parents, I think, to be able to have that confidence to, to start questioning and go, well, hang on, is that really working? Mm, and, um, you know, yeah, should yeah. I try something else? Yes. Now, in your book, The High Thrive Meat, you outline a five-step dietary process, and I wanted to focus yeah. on two of those um, two of those processes, two of those steps, yeah. um, which is the eliminate and the enhance. So, foods that parents should consider eliminating from the diet, and foods yeah. that they may consider adding back into the diet. Um, yeah. So, let's start with the elimination. What are the sort of foods that parents who are listening in today what what may, might they be able to look at and get rid of or chuck out of their fridge or pantry or, you know, where do they start? Okay, cool. Um, Look, the the biggies seem to be um, for um, kids on the spectrum, gluten and dairy, and um, without going into a science lesson, it's because um, they're they're actually physiologically addicted to the um, compounds in gluten and dairy, which have sort of a morphine effect. So not are they only like dulling their their brains, but they're also very, very, very addictive. And that's why the kids start narrowing their food choices and become becoming very picky. So for those kids, gluten and dairy, um, on the other side of things, um, sometimes the kids that are really hyperactive, um, you can get a big bang for your buck by starting with additives. Um, so sometimes it's, it's the additives. But um, if we're talking about um, autism here, um, then I would say um, gluten and dairy. So just have a look. And, and if, you know, when I'm working with people, I get them to do, you know, send me a typical three days. And it will just be just like Tim's diet. It will be full of, it will be full of gluten and dairy. 
-hmm. it will be absolutely full of gluten and dairy. And then there'll be comments about hasn't touched a vegetable in X many years and, you know, can't stand the colour, the sight, the smell, the look, you know, all all of the rest. So um, what we can do is, like, there's so much available now um, gluten-free. So Can can you just describe for the parents who don't know what gluten is, what is gluten and where do we find it? Okay, cool, yeah. Um, so gluten is a protein and it's found in um, quite a few grains. So it's found in um, things like wheat, barley, rye um, are probably the main ones. So um, that means it's in flour, it's in bread, it's in breadcrumbs, it's in pasta, it's in biscuits, and it's in cakes, it's in gluten's in everything. Gluten's probably in Because wheat's in everything toothpaste. these days, isn't it? Everything, yeah. So um, so it's interesting when you start going gluten-free. It's not just the pasta and the bread you need to look at, you know, mm. when you go down the track and find that there's gluten in your toothpaste or whatever, it's like, whoa. Mm. Um, so it even means eliminating stuff. gluten from personal care products and things like that. Is that right? Yeah, mm. yeah. Because what happens is what, what I've found out from my studies is the body doesn't know how much gluten it's getting. So you can't do this a little bit. So, um, I mean, you can start out slowly and, of course, everyone's in a transition period of, you know, you can't, you know, expect to be 100% this afternoon when you when you've, um, haven't started anything. But what you're aiming for is to be completely um, gluten and dairy-free because the body doesn't know, for example, if you've given it um, a mouthful of milk or you've had two litres of milk. Um, for example, if we're, if we're thinking of dairy, it just sees the dairy protein and mounts mm-hmm. an immune response. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for people who say, oh, 80-20 would be fine or, you know, oh, he only has um, one sandwich a day but we're gluten-free the rest of the time or one yogurt a day and we're dairy-free the rest of the time, it doesn't matter. The body still goes, cool, I got my protein um so and still still mounts that response Mm. so we do need to be working towards um being completely gluten and dairy free which means you know play-doh is a big one a Mm. lot of people come unstuck they've been perfect um at home in all their food and all their personal care and then the child's gone to kindy and eaten some Mm. play-doh things you would never think of yeah and they usually recommend is it three months to trial going off gluten to see, you know, it takes three months to sort of get gluten out of the system to see whether that intervention Correct. actually works. Yeah. 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 So dairy leaves the body quite quickly. So if you do a dairy, if you're on a dairy free diet within three to five days, if you've had no dairy at all, all the remnants um, are pretty much gone. Gluten can take up to three months. Some people say it's three to six months. So that's why we say once you get to a completely gluten and dairy free stage, you want to stay there for three months to then see what the benefits of the um, diet are going to be for you. Mm. So because yeah, yeah. that's that's once all that's, you know, gone from the body. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so you, so you can start looking at, like, you know, just swapping things out, you know, if, you, if your child loves bread, a gluten-free bread, which mm. I know is, again, easier said than done when they're attached to a particular brand of bread or whatever. Um, but, um, you know, the milk, you might, you know, start as well, like diluting the milk from all cow's milk to half cow's milk, half rice milk, for example, and then, then you know, going three-quarters cow uh, rice milk, a little bit of cow's milk till you've completely transitioned. You know, some people like to just do it cold turkey. Some people need to do it um, over a longer period of time. But you can just start swapping out. There's, mm. there's so many good things, like coconut yogurts and, um, you know, gluten-free pastas and gluten-free breads and, and things like that that you can um, still keep the diet looking similar. You don't have to go, you know, completely like, you know, eating mung beans and, um, and sprouts. <laughs> um, so at least in a transition period, just swapping the like for like, um, yeah. at least keeping some sense of, um, of um, 
you know, normality for them. Yes, so. yeah. And and what about sugar? Because obviously um, kids, any kid these days, you know, is very addicted to the processed food, the sugar, um, yeah. and this can be very difficult uh, to get it out of their diet. Um, what do you recommend? What, what sorts of um, sugary foods should we be eliminating and how do you recommend we get this out of their diet? Yeah, that's a that's a really good um, question because, I, I mean, it, again, it, it can even happen inadvertently that you might be, you know, doing gluten and dairy-free but it's been, you know, mm. full of sugar. Yeah. And, again, so the kids become quite, you know, we, we, we've seen the studies that, you know, sugar can be more addictive than co- cocaine. Um, it's definitely a, um, I think for sugar, um, you know, it's probably easier to start, you know, um, uh, reducing um and you can do things like you know instead of a um a soft drink you could make like a homemade lemonade stevia is so sweet um but you just need a tiny little drop and it's a natural sweetener for example um and then you know you could you could you could still get that sweet taste um from um something that's um sweetened with stevia versus um normal sugar and then same in your baking even just um you know looking at a recipe cutting the sugar in half for now and then you know starting to look at recipes that might use um for example some you know a a date or some honey um just to get off the processed sugar and then you know sort of trying to reduce the um amount your taste buds really do change though um it doesn't take too long where you you're not craving that anymore um and then just using things like raw cacao can still give you you know the chocolatey taste without having the sugar problems and um so it's um and it could just be even just reading the packet and seeing how much sugar is in something and then just picking up another packet at the supermarket just to see if there's a better option because there you know there there may be another one that's going to be acceptable um for the child but that isn't loaded up with sugar in numbers so um so that becomes a doesn't mean you have to go make everything you just you just need to sort of get a little bit savvy at reading the labels and things and just start making the swaps well there's so many different names for sugar these days isn't there it gets a bit confusing when you're actually looking at the packet you don't you know it's 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 too hard it it becomes overwhelming you know as a parent if if you go in and you don't have that sort of knowledge and know what to look for it can become overwhelming especially when you're in this mindset of trying to change diets trying to um, you know, keep mentally sane yourself and, um, you know, reduce any sort of meltdowns, it's uh, it's very difficult. Oh, it's terrible. I, I'll give you an example. One client I had, we ch- you know, we changed over to this almond milk and um, and um, we completely had dairy out of the diet and she's like, oh, my gosh, she's still hyperactive. That is crazy. And, and you know, we figured out then, you know, they were having like a litre and a half of almond milk a day because we are doing smoothies and, you know, in breakfast and all the rest of it. And the almond milk was only 2% almonds and it was something like 18 grams of sugar in in each serve and he was having like eight serves a day. I was like, mm. oh, my gosh, no wonder he's hyper. So that's when it's like it looks like a health food but it's not. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's such a process about learning um, that stuff because that's the stuff you just swap. Okay, it's been a big enough change to go dairy-free. Am I doing the right thing? This is in the health food aisle mm. and then you have to, you know, you mm. have to then you get a little bit more knowledge about yeah. the label rec- Yeah, that's right. Can you give us any tips on reading labels? You know, what should we be looking out for? 
Um, definitely um, turn it straight over to the back. Don't look at all those claims on the front about how much, oh, great source of fibre and all the rest of it. Have a look. Um, if it's got, you know, if it's got 35 ingredients, and I'm not exaggerating when I say one of the health, you know, a lot of the um, health food bars that will be in kids' lunch boxes has 35 ingredients, put it back. 35 ingredients means it's just full of crap that's made, you know, to sit on the shelf for longer. So, you know, the less ingredients um uh, the better and um, ingredients that you know and that can you can pronounce and then um, and then just have a look at the go to the sugar content if we're talking about sugar for example and you, you're trying to aim to have something you know like five grams of sugar um, or less per serve is considered low sugar so immediately if you go oh my gosh this is a you know 26 grams of sugar in this serve don't get that one um so even if you just if you're just um looking at the actual ingredients the number of ingredients and um and the sugar content that would be a really good place to start and then you can go into you know um having uh, a little app or something that you can check the additives and the numbers mm. that are in the, the the bars which i you know i still do yeah um, the I chemical maze is a good one yeah. isn't it yeah that's the one i love it's just on my phone because not all numbers are are terrible um so you do you can just do a quick flick and you know if it's the first time you're buying something you just spend that time just going okay um you know is this going to be acceptable yep and then it gets put into the you know into the okay list and yeah. um if not you can just reject it and i think it's great i recommend it to parents who also have older children who are able to do that themselves because yeah. then they feel empowered they have the app yeah. and you know it's very easy to read so it has the the green face or the orange right. or, or the red yeah. and they can say no mum you know it's no good and the red face yeah 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 yeah. so yeah if it is the red face they can put it back on the shelf and choose a better option so yeah it's something that they can do when they go shopping Um, yeah and just quickly on vegetable oils can you touch on that because that's something that you do (laughs) speak about in your book you know what are vegetable oils these you know they're found a lot in processed foods and you will see this a lot if you do turn over the back of the packet and read the ingredients what are vegetable oils and why should we be avoiding them yeah well i mean basically just a chemical concoction um and they're they don't have any redeeming benefits like in a a good fat like so they're a fat a good fat um you know will be feeding the brain you know our brain needs good fats saturated fats and our digestion needs saturated fats but these oils are um they're heated oh they're just yeah the body doesn't know, you know, A, the body doesn't know what to do with them um, and that they just they just cause more problems than they're worth. So you need to stay away from those. But the other reason you need to stay away from them is not only because of the um, the, the chemical concoction that they are and, and the um, adverse effects they have is often they're full of antioxidants. And then we get this whole antioxidant um, thing, oh, blueberries are good antioxidants, we need antioxidants. But when you're looking at a processed food, an antioxidant is just in there to stop it from spoiling and the antioxidants often are do not have to be labeled on vegetable oils so these are things that can really set kids off um they're you know number 320 or 321 bha or bht they're called um but they may not be labeled as that they may just be labeled as antioxidant they may not be labeled at all um but these can be really tricky i mean they're carcinogens they're recognized carcinogens which means they are known to be causing cancer um they're being linked to learning difficulties, to migraines, to headaches, to hyperactivity, mm. so many reasons to stay away from them. So, um, yeah, and 
that's that's why you need to you can get a better processed food um, mm. that won't have a vegetable oil or an antioxidant or something in it. Um, so you definitely want to want to look at those and um, and you know your cooking, uh, you know. Um, Go back to the, you know, the the geese, the butters, the lard, the, those old-fashioned um, fats yeah. that our bodies actually need and know mm. what to do with. And it's the cheap, those cheap processed oils, um, you know, the canola oils, cottonseed, the soy oils, the um, vegetable oils are just, yeah. Steer clear. Yeah. So yeah. let's yeah let's start talking about the enhance. So what we should be adding back into the diet. So you just mentioned then the healthier types of fats, so the coconut oil, the ghee, the butter. Um, yep. What are other sorts of uh, nutritious forms of food that we should be adding back into the diet mm-hmm. to yeah. yeah improve nutrition? Yeah. So one thing, um, well, I, I think the first thing is looking at your, um, one of the most important things is looking at your water um, because, we, you know, and we're not we're cooking it and we're drinking it. So making sure you've got a really good water filter to filter out the chlorine, the fluoride and all the yeah, other garbage that's in there. Um, so water I think is really important about adding adding back in, adding in. Um, well, I uh, totally agree. And just to digress a little bit i'm based up in catherine in the northern territory and um our town water has been contaminated with uh yeah firefighting foam and it's been like that for the last 12 years and it's only sort of coming to surface now and um you know i I think people have been a little bit complacent about it and it is really hard to um you know i mean we're bathing in this water we're drinking the water and you know, I, I don't think people realise the amount of chemicals and that that can actually find their way into our tap water. And that was a really big wake-up call for me that, you know, uh-huh. look, I understand that there is the fluoride and the chlorine in there and that's been added there purposefully. But, you know, what other chemicals are, are in our water that we don't even know that we're drinking? Well, well that's the thing. And, I mean, there's water, there's, you know, um, I, don't, I don't even know what you – call them i mean they're, they're they're trying to combat you know um the giardias and the um you know and and they're saying to for e coli and all that sort of stuff but i mean they're chemicals in there to to stop that and yeah and then yeah. they block block the absorption of any minerals that are in the water so it's like oh mm. it just gets into a vicious cycle so i actually think of um like a good quality water filter is probably one of the first things to look at when you're trying to enhance, you know, right. what you're doing. And um, salt is another one. And, again, people are like, oh, you know. Um, and so we're talking about, you know, the nice pink crystal Himalayan salt, which is full of vitamins and minerals. I think there's 84, um, you know, trace vitamins and minerals in there, which, again, we need, um, you know, to balance our electrolytes. And then that, you know, balancing electrolytes um, means that everything's working and, you know, brains are developing and, and all the rest. So I'm not talking about white tape salt which is completely devoid of any minerals and anything so again just swapping your salt out um to something that's nice and um nice and natural or the gray um uh, celtic sea salt as well um you know just that nice natural stuff so, so adding, is, that, adding is that what salt. parents can find in their supermarket is that the one or are they is that the same yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, we can, we can get the pink one now, the pink um, um, uh, Himalayan crystal rock salt. So we get we could get that now at our supermarket, which is really cool. So you don't even have to go um, to a specialty oh, shop anymore great. to get that. Yeah, which is really good. So that's a really simple swap, and it's and it's about you know just learning. Like I I didn't used to cook with salt because I didn't like what salt is, the white table salt. Um, but however, I now you know make a point of adding 
the pink Himalayan salt into my, you know, into my cooking, um, knowing that it's putting nutrients in there. Um, just things like having a look at organic food versus um, conventional. And I, again, you know, like I, I, I did, I am a realist. I'm not a cook. I'm not a foodie. And I understand that, you know, in a, in a perfect world, even, you know, we're not perfect. In a perfect world, we'd eat completely organic. That's not always possible financially or to actually get the organic produce. So um, I, I use a, um, a thing that you can just find on the website. Um, it's called the Dirty Dozen. Yes. And yep. it's, it um, comes out every, I think the EWG, the um, Environmental Working Group in the US, uh, updates it every year. I think it's the Dirty Dozen plus three now. I think it's um, become um, worse. But they actually, they're the, they're the um if we just talk about a dozen, they're the, the 12 worst um, contaminated fruits and vegetables, for example, so that, that contain the most nasty. So I will have a look at that list and say, okay, well, I'll definitely buy those organic um, and then everything else, which is a bit cleaner, they call them the clean 15, then I'll just buy that, you know, um, uh, conventionally because, you know, my budget might not, not stretch to buying 100% of things um, organically. Yeah. Um, so I love to use markets as well because a certified organic um, label is a very expensive thing for farmers to get. And lots of small farmers and lo at local markets are not using sprays and not using chemicals, but they haven't been able to go and afford the actual certification of being um, organic. So you can get some really nice, clean fruit and vegetables as well um, at your local markets just by talking to the grower and, and you know, um, they, they might say, yeah, we don't use any chemical sprays. And so, you know, you know and they're a lot cheaper than buying organic as well. Mm. So, yeah, I um, think that's a really good point. I was actually on the Environmental Working Group website a little while ago now and um you know they were saying on there that there were strawberries that had 20 different types of pesticides found yep. on the strawberry yeah and that's massive isn't it um you know what do these pesticides what does organic mean and why should we avoid the pesticides what what will that do for our health yeah well i mean the pesticides are a little bit like um the whole GMO thing, right? They're, they're foreign bodies to the – so when you when you ingest them, um, your digestive system and your body goes, hang on, I don't recognise what this is. Um, I'm going to mount an immune response because my job as the immune system is to keep out any, you know, invaders or anything um, foreign. So the body just doesn't know how to – so they're not digested properly. The body doesn't know how to digest them because in digestion you're, you're assimilating all the vitamins and minerals and – the digestion system doesn't know how to assimilate a pesticide. It just, you know, um, and so that then runs around in the bloodstream and then, you know, it causes all sorts of who knows what damage. Um, so even if I know there's, you know, varying studies about, you know, are the nutrients better in an organic versus a conventional, um, um, you know, uh, apple, for example, um, and even if it was line ball, I would take the organic apple because it didn't have, you know, or the strawberry, for example, that didn't have the 20 pesticides on it, oh. even if, yeah. So, I, I mean, when you think about it, though, when did we think it was safe to start spraying our food with toxins? You know, I mean, just back, you know, coming back from that common sense lifestyle approach, you know, like, yeah. let's yeah. just, it's just common sense. Um, so, it yeah, is. if it's yeah. within the budget and, you know, they follow the dirty dozen and clean 15, that's yeah. sort of, that's yeah. a really good practical sort of tool that parents yeah. can, can use. Yeah. Yeah. That's is there right, anything yeah. else that they should be adding back into the diet or looking at increasing? 
Um, the same thing like with meat and chicken and eggs, um, mm-hmm. for example, like, you know, organic can be prohibitive in terms of cost. So we're really lucky in Australia we have um, access to grass-fed meat. And, I mean, I know um, there's a lot of, you know, Americans who, you know, grass-fed meat is so hard to get and we have, um, you know, an abundance of it in Australia. So, again, it might not be certified organic, but grass-fed meat has been shown to have higher levels of the um, um, CLA, which is um, a good uh, amino acid, good fat, really good for brain development. And um, and by nature, again, um, a lot, there's a lot less chemicals um, because they haven't been fed um, grain laden with antibiotics and all the rest of it. So um, so grass-fed meat's a really good one. And then I think if you, if you can't... Um, I think on the vegetable side of things, which is usually the really big stumbling block for a lot of people, if you can't put vegetables on a plate um, for your kids because of the sensory issues or whatever, um, and you can't hide them, you know, because you can't grind them up um, small enough, there's some amazing, you know, beautifully sprouted fermented vegetable powders that a teaspoon of those um, will actually, you know, be equivalent to eight servings of vegetables. They're so potent. So you can just do things like adding that in or using it as a sprinkle Mm-hmm. Um, on top of chips or on rice cakes or something um, like a seasoning and then you can sort of go I know they've got their veggies I know that plate doesn't look great because there's no color on it but I know that there's veggies in there so I just think don't be afraid to you know it, they, it's a shortcut but it's a it's a sustainable one that means that every you know the kids are getting their nutrients you've you know um, managed to balance the meal and um, everyone's happy mm-hmm. so don't be afraid. Don't think that you have to do everything, you know, perfectly. And that, that, yeah, and, and that, that, you know, within um, two weeks the, that you're going to have your child sitting down to, you know, three colourful vegetables and a piece of meat on their plate because it's probably not going to happen like that. So there's, there's lots and lots of um, little shortcuts and um, that you can use just to keep your sanity as well because you can't be in the kitchen, you know, for 18 hours trying to make this work as well. That's not sustainable either. Mm. So do you have any practical tips for the sensory kids who, you know, won't um, touch certain textures or, you know, it's a real um, difficult time at dinner time to get them to sit and eat and you're almost force feeding them. You know, what yeah. are some practical tips that parents can walk away with today after, you know, knowing what they know now, what sort of things we should be eliminating, what we should be adding back? How do they go about it? Yep. You know what I was told from, from a, a very, you know, um, well-known doctor was like, you do it one pea at a time. So, for example, if you pick one food and, and you'd pick one food only, and let's say for this example, we pick peas, and you just have to have the expectation that it's going to take three months before that child is going to eat a pea. And you have to just start a process where the peas just on their plate for a week and you don't say anything, you don't ask them to do anything, the peas just there. Then next week, you ask them to touch the pea. Um, you don't ask them to do anything else. The next week you ask them to lick the pea and then you don't ask them to do anything else. So, you know, now we're about a month in and now you might ask them just to, um, you know, they could um, chew it and spit it out. And then, you know, you might be six or eight weeks before they've actually eaten a pea. And then, of course, there's a reward at the end of that. And then the next night, you know, um, there might be two peas or whatever. And once you've got peas nailed, then you go, right, now we move on to carrots or whatever it is. And so it can be, look, you know, I'm not sugarcoating this. It can be a ridiculously long process. It requires a lot of um, patience. But on the other side of things, if you're also looking at the biomedical side of things, kids with a zinc deficiency are often often um, the zinc deficiency is causing 
that problem and you'll find when the zinc um, normalises that that sort of sensory stuff really reduces and um, their appetite opens up as well. Mm. So um, so it's really useful to have, have actually have a look on the other side of things um, and, of course, working with occupational therapists like yourself, I mean, I think working with a professional that can, you know, you know, uh, help you with the sensory stuff and incorporating food into that is really important. So, yeah. like, don't feel like... Um, that you need to do it all on your own. I mean, we we did have a lot of help from like speech therapists, occupational therapists, our behaviour therapists in actually, you know, incorporating food into those programs. And the more directions you can come at it, um, the better really because yeah. something, you know, something will stick mm. quicker than, than another thing. Yeah, so. and I think like what you said, I think it does take that integrative approach. I think we need to be more open-minded and accepting, you know, the traditional and the alternative. I think we really do need to yeah. work together. Um, yeah. So that's great. I think we're going to head to the five rapid-fire questions now, Chris. Okay. <laughs> cool. So the first one is what is one habit that parents can implement today? I would say to have a look at what's in your cupboard and turn over the um, back of the packet and have a look at the label and see if it meets the requirements. So whether you think after today that you might say, oh, I'm going to give gluten-free a go or I'm going to um, give no sugar a go or look for low additives, just have a look at what's in your cupboard now and see if that's something that you'll need to think about a replacement or um, or keep. Great. Yeah. What do people never ask you that you wish they did? You know what? I wish – I actually wish – people would ask me, can you help me? Um, because, and I know that sounds weird, but there's a very fine line between being able to offer, like, you know, I, I've got an experience that, you know, if I could share with you that yes. might help your child. Mm. Um, I don't get asked very often, even by really good friends who um, have children and they've seen what I've done for my son and all the rest, but, yeah. Is that fine line well, you, are, you definitely have a yeah. wealth of knowledge and I think people should be tapping into that. <laughs> yeah, so I'd like them to ask me, like, hey, would you better, can you tell me about what you did? That's yeah. what I'd like them to oh, ask Excellent. <laughs> well, it's de it's all in your books and, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know you do a lot of presentations and different things like that, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah great. And um, so what book would you recommend that all parents read? Yeah, I was having a think about that because I was having a look through my bookshelf and stuff, but um, I've got this one here. It's very, I don't know if you can see, it's very well worn. It's called Healing the New Childhood um, Epidemics by Dr. Kenneth Bock. And it's a really great mix of um, real life stories and science and um, practical uh, interventions. Mm -hmm. So you could grab that at the library. Um, I've got a couple of copies floating around, but they're out with people. And that was my really old one. Um, but I think that that was one of the um, most comprehensive resources that I've read that, that explains what I was doing from a scientific point of view, as well as putting it into perspective in the, you know, in a real world. Great. So, That's great. Yeah. I haven't read that one, so I'll put that on yeah. my list. So put that on your list. <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah. And what is one of your top three unfinished bucket list items? Mm, I've got a lot of travel on my bucket list. So I've got a lot of a lot of places I want to go. But you know what? I there's one really big thing on my bucket list, and um, I said this way way back when Tim started improving that when I won the lottery, I just wanted to have a retreat where people could come 
mums could come with their kids and we could just immerse them in Love this whole it. thing and teach them. So that's still on my on my bucket list. And, ah, that and, sounds uh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you'll get there. <laughs> and if you could only offer one piece of advice to parents, what would it be? Um, trust your gut. Trust your gut about um, on this whole journey, what therapists you're working with, um, what advice you're given. See how it fits and feels for you because you know your child the best and you're going to have a lot of people tell you a lot of different things and give you a lot of conflicting advice. So really sit with it and take it on board and, you know, try something. And if it's not working, even if the professional told you it was supposed to work, you go, it's actually not working for my child, trust that and trust that you know, um, you know, what's best for your child. Yeah, I think that is the best. You know, I totally agree with that. Um, Yeah, you've got to do what you know and, you know, yeah, go go with your gut instinct. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Chris, you are an absolute treasure in the autism community. Thank you so much yeah. for joining us today. Um, you know, you have such an inspiring story of hope and I really think that the listeners will get something out of today. Um, so thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. It was lovely to be with you. Thanks. Thanks, thanks Chris. Bye. Bye. I hope that today's show has resonated with you in some way and I hope that you have been inspired to take action and make positive change from home base. If there is someone you know who would benefit from this podcast, please share it. And I would love for you to join our Homebase Hope community. You can do this by subscribing to this podcast. All you have to do is head on over to iTunes and hit the subscribe button and every fortnight you will get an instant notification of the latest interview. If you do like this show, please jump on iTunes and leave a five-star review so more people can discover us and so we can inspire positive change in more people living on the spectrum. If you do leave a five-star review, please take a screenshot and send it to info at homebasehope.com.au with the subject line free ebook and I will send you a copy of our awesome ebook Understanding Behaviours. In this book, I show you how to manage challenging behaviors at school, at home, and in therapy. I talk about the differences between tantrums, meltdowns, and button pushing. And I also arm you with practical strategies you can start using today. You can access all of the show notes and other episodes at homebasehope.com.au. So until next time, I encourage you to open your mind, respect the differences, and above all, believe that you can make a difference from home base. See you soon, guys. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.